Well, good morning. I am really excited to open up God's Word with you today. Um, if you could turn to Judges chapter 7, that's where we, are, we will be at today, Judges chapter 7. While you're turning there, if you do not know me, my name is Griffin Lowe, and I am one of the interns here uh, this summer. Uh, I've been uh, having the pleasure to serve alongside Carson and Max this summer, preaching, teaching, and doing whatever else the church needs. Uh, if I can share my heart with you guys for a few seconds, I love this church. East Brandywine, you guys have become family to me in only a month and a half. Your kindness, your hospitality, your generosity that has been extended to us in the least is overwhelming. And so to that, I say thank you. I'm honored to have this opportunity to open up God's word with you. I have to admit something, though. And you may look at it as positive or negative, but much of this sermon was prepared on the beach. Last week, I was in Florida. Um, actually, this past week, I was in Florida. I just got back to Pennsylvania Friday night. Um, I was with my family. Uh, we were spending some time together on vacation. Uh, and if you don't know my family, we have a big family. We have about probably 12 to 15. That's always changing. Um, but we got to spend a couple days together um, just relaxing, rejuvenating, um, eating a lot of food, taking a lot of naps. You know what I did. Uh, but um, that, that was just such a good time for me to spend with my family um, and I uh, had an awesome time preparing for this message, um, and I'm excited to what, for what God has for us. Um, there was one disappointing thing about uh, vacation back home in Florida is that uh, my fiance Avalon was not there. Uh, she was the only person missing, uh, for good reason. She was helping her parents move houses. Um, but I do have good news, and many, many of you asked. I don't think I've gone to a dinner where someone hasn't asked me this question. But many of you asked me, is Avalon coming here? And I'm excited to say that she'll be here at the end of this month. Uh, she'll be here July 27th, that, that Friday, and we'll be here till the Tuesday. And so she'll be here uh, on church that Sunday. And so I'm excited for you guys to meet her. She's wonderful. She's my way better half. Uh, and so I'm really excited for that. But let's jump into God's Word. The book of Judges. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Brian preached on Judges chapter 6, and we were introduced to Gideon. Because of the sin that Israel has been committing, God gave them over to the Midianites. Israel, once again, cries out to God for help, and God, in his love and mercy, sends another judge. God calls upon Gideon, but Gideon isn't excited. He asks God, or more specifically, the angel of the Lord, the Christophany of Jesus Christ, why? Why are you, why are you calling me? Why, why has this happened? Where are you, God? Jesus answers with a question, am I not the one who sends you? Then Guinea asks the question, well, how? I'm too weak. I'm the weakest in my clan. I'm the weakest in my family. I'm just so weak. And Jesus answers, I know you're too weak, but I will be with you. And so we fast forward to chapter 7. 
And now this interaction, and more importantly, these promises of God are about to come into fruition. A little over a month ago in the NBA, if you keep up with that, I like basketball, so I do, the Golden State Warriors won their fourth championship in eight years. Impressive, to say the least, and with all that success comes many, many fans. Uh, they have a, uh, a really interesting slogan that I've always liked. Some people call it a rally cry. Uh, they put it on all their t-shirts, all their memorabilia. And their slogan is this, strength in numbers. The idea is that more, with more people involved, more people engaged, rooting for the team, the stronger they will be, and hopefully the more successful the team will be. Now, the title of my message is not Strength in Numbers. As you will see, it's actually quite the opposite. The title of this message is Strength in Weakness. And the big idea that I want us to capture this morning is this. Is that God does not work in spite of our weaknesses, but because of our weaknesses. And so let's start reading at the beginning of Judges chapter 7. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Gideon and the nation of Israel are getting ready to go into battle. Gideon is obeying the call that God has put on him. There is one glaring issue, though, and that God must take care of before anything else happens. God says that there are too many people in the army of Israel, that if God gives them the victory, they will boast about it. If you're taking notes, the first point in the notes is that Israel's heart is revealed. God reveals the heart of Israel and makes it very clear for what it is. And what is in Israel's heart? It's sin, but more specifically, the sin of pride. How the Israelites were currently constructed, if they would have won the battle, they would have taken credit for it and desired the fame and fortune from the battle. But God said no. To be clear, this is the same pride that has caused the nation of Israel to be idolaters and to do what is right in the sight of their own eyes. Israel's pride is what is causing them to forget God and who he is. And it isn't that true in our own lives, that our pride, our own indulgent and overvalued sense of oneself, makes it all too easy to forget the God who loves us and provides for us. So how does God accomplish this quote-unquote overpopulation of the army of Israel? Well, let's continue reading. Verse 3. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. That was easy. God knows the hearts of these men, and knowing many of their fears and doubts about going into battle, he simply commands Gideon just to tell them, if they're afraid, just go home. 
this ends up cutting down the army by two-thirds, 66%. And while that is a lot, especially for an army, it's not enough for God. Let's keep reading in verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. But retain the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So God cuts down the army again, but in a really unique way. God decides who goes home and who stays simply by how they drink water. It's often questioned if there's ever any spiritual significance to this kneeling down and drinking the water and then bringing it up and lapping it like a dog. Well, I can tell you the answer to that. And is there any spiritual significance? No, there's not. God, in his sovereignty and wisdom, he knows the hearts and the actions of these men. And he chooses this method because it cuts down the army of Israel to the exact size he wanted them to be. It simply proves that God knows all and controls everything. The army of Israel is now 300 men, which, if you want to do the math, is over a 99% decrease from the original 33,000 men. And let's not forget that the Midianites, as the Bible says, are like locusts in number. Israel needs every man they can get. To us and to Gideon, this seems crazy. And this quite literally seems like a suicide mission. But let's not forget what Pastor Brian said last Sunday. When you have God on your side, you are always in the majority. All Gideon can do now is trust God's word. But before the battle, God, knowing Gideon's heart, wants to reassure Gideon of his promises. This is the second point of the outline. Gideon's faith is reassured. So I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever been reassured about something? Or have you had to reassure someone about something? I'll give a life example. Um, <clears throat> I've dated Avalon for two and a half years now, and that brings a lot, a lot, a lot of good sermon illustrations, um, which can be very dangerous as well. So it's a tight, uh, tight balance there. But I often say this to Avalon when she's feeling down or sad or she's angry, because she's the type of person that kind of wears her emotions on her sleeve. You can look at her face and you can see, oh, I, I know how you're feeling. And about six months into dating, I realized something. And I realized I just need to make her happy. I just need to make her smile. Usually when I make her smile, everything turns out all right. 
And so I decided to say this. I said, Avalon, when you smile, you are the most beautiful girl in the world. Now remember that when I say this. But I said, Avalon, when you don't smile, you are the ugliest girl in the world. So please, please smile. <clears throat> and yes, it was tongue-in-cheek. And yes, she, she still did talk to me for the rest of the day. But I was trying to reassure her that everything was okay, that whatever she was worrying about or wondering or what made her cause her to feel this way, that it's okay, that she'll make it through. And this is what God does for Gideon. Let's start reading at verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to, to him, Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amicalites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to, to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. God says to Gideon, you have everything you need to win the battle. Why? Because I've already given you the victory. But God, knowing the fear in Gideon's heart, he gives Gideon the option to listen to the Midianite camp. And all God, all God says is, if you do that, your hands will be strengthened. Or to put it this way, I will give you the courage and faith necessary to go into battle. So Gideon takes this offer. Uh, under the second point in the outline, Gideon's faith is reassured in weakness. Gideon understands the mission God has given him. But after the promises and assurance of the God of the universe, he still doesn't think he can do it. I want to park on this point right here because I believe it's not only the theme of Judges 7 and the entire book of Judges, but it's the theme of the Bible. It's the gospel. All of chapter 6, Gideon doubts God. Remember Gideon's excuse? Gideon said, said to God, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. I will be with you. The weakness of Gideon is met in response by the strength of God. Gideon was too weak. He was right. He didn't have it. He couldn't make it. There was no way that Gideon saw how he could accomplish the great task. And God says, I know you can't. Let us remind ourselves of this truth as well, that God has given us a seemingly impossible task. If you are born again, God has called us to be more than conquerors 
through Christ Jesus. But when I hear that, and I'm sure most of you, when you hear that, our response is, I can't. I'm too weak. As Christians, the Bible asks us to do things we simply cannot do on our own strength. And when God commands this of us, we ask the same questions Gideon asks. Why and how? Paul has something to say about our weaknesses. Turn to the scripture reading with me, if you could. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Chose it for a specific reason, and you'll see why in a moment. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read it for you one more time. Let it sink in again. It's a powerful, powerful passage. Paul says, chapter 12, verse 1, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited or prideful because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <clears throat> Paul is recounting the supernatural experience that he has had, but because of how great the experience was and his own pride, God knew that he needed to humble him. Paul is using this experience to demonstrate how we should respond to our weaknesses. We know that God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. And he is using this to humble Paul. And Paul wants to take it away. God, please take it away. Three times he asked. But, but God's response is not of, yes, I will take it away. It's a response of, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. We look at our weaknesses as unusable, but God looks upon our weaknesses as desirable. The world looks at weakness and tries to hide it. If you take a look on social media, it's not hard to find the world putting their best out there to see. If you look, we only get to see the richest people. 
talking about how to make more money. We only get to see the most beautiful people and how to become more beautiful. We only get to see the smartest people and how they tell us to become smarter. The world hides its weaknesses, but according to 2 Corinthians 12, we should boast in our weaknesses. Why? Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. We are just as weak as the rest of the world. But the difference is that our strength and power comes from the living and almighty God. This is why we can be content in our weaknesses. Because when we are weak, he is strong. Gideon was a nobody. He wasn't the strongest man. That is Samson. He wasn't the wisest man. That is Solomon. He wasn't the man after God's own heart. That is David. Gideon was the weakest among his clan and his family. And that's where God reached down and said, I can use all your weaknesses to give me the most glory. Yes, it was our disgusting and vile sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. But Jesus even used sin, something directly opposed to his character and nature, to give God his deserved glory. God uses our weaknesses for his glory. When we are weak, he is strong. And this is the promise of God, that my grace is sufficient for you. Gideon's faith is reassured in not only weakness, but secondly, in worship. If we can read, if you want to turn back to Judges 7, I think that would help. Starting at verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. When Gideon goes down to this Midianite camp, he hears this dream of this loaf of bread that's tumbling into the camp and destroys the entire camp. Talk about a weird dream. What's even crazier is that his friend interprets the, the dream. His friend says, There is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian in all the camp. And what did Gideon do as soon as he heard these, this interpretation? He worshiped God. We are in constant need of reassurance. But of what exactly? We need to be reassured that God is with us and for us. Let, re let me remind you that we are just like, the, like Gideon and the Israelites. We are in constant danger of forgetting God and what he has done for us. 
we need to be reminded that his grace is sufficient for us. We need to be reminded that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We need to be reminded that Christ is enough. His promises are sure. His faithfulness never wavers. His love never ends. And how do we know we have been reassured by God and who he is? When we have been led to heartfelt praise and worship of God and have a confident obedience to him. Lastly, the last point in the outline, God's character is displayed. I'm going to start at verse 19 and finish the rest of the chapter. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. When they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethshida toward Zerera, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Bethbara and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. How fitting. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. That finishes the chapter. And as we look back, all I could see was God's character. All I could see was who God is. And there's three things I want to highlight. Firstly, God's character is displayed with his patience. Specifically with Gideon. God was so, so patient with Gideon. From the beginning of chapter 6 till now, God has given Gideon every possibility to be patient. He knows Gideon's heart. He knows his weaknesses. He knows his struggles. But God is patient. And aren't we glad today that God is not only patient with Gideon, but he's also patient with us. That when we sin, when our weaknesses come flaring out, when we struggle, when we don't know what to do, he's patient. He is long-suffering. He delights to see us grow. Secondly, we see God's character displayed in his strength, and specifically in the battle. God said all the way in, in chapter 6, I will give the Midianites into your hands. And that is exactly what happened. 
God is strong. Actually, he's very strong. He's stronger than any army, any camp, any country, all of humanity, over the heavens and the earth. God is strong. He has control. He doesn't waver. He doesn't worry about anything. He has complete control. The God who created me and you controls our lives in his hands. And so what should our response be? When he tells us something in his word, we trust and obey. Trust and obey. And lastly, God's character is displayed in his sovereignty, specifically over his promises. God made this promise to Gideon. And God 100% kept his promise. God was with Gideon the entire time. And although Gideon doubted God and doubted his sovereignty, doubted that God was in control, God never doubted Gideon. God knew what he was capable of, and he gave him the strength to do it. And so for us, God knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we can't do. But he will never, never leave us, nor forsake us. He is a God who knows all things. He's a God who controls all things. But yet, he's a God of love and of patience. To repeat the big idea, God does not simply work in spite of our weaknesses, but actually because of it. God sees our weaknesses, and he sees an opportunity for his glory to be shown. And so my question for you guys today, as Paul, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, are we content with our weaknesses? Are we content? Because God can show the most glory through the weakest people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word and uh, this message that you have given to us, Lord. I thank you for applying it to my heart as I, was, as I was preparing for it. And I ask that through your Holy Spirit that you apply it to the hearts of these people. God, we're so thankful for your patience. We're so thankful that you are strong because we are so, so weak. And yes, God, we fail and we doubt you when we shouldn't. And we sin against you when you say not to. And we're, we are such, such sinners. But you are such a great Savior. And so God, help us to rest upon that that your power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, we thank you for that truth. Help us now as we come to worship you, just as Gideon did. Help it to be sincere. Help it to be heartfelt praise that we could worship you and be obedient to you. We pray all of these things through your Son, Jesus Christ's name.